Well, Marissa Peer, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's been, I've got to say, quite a riveting journey since you've come to Albarari and really come into our lives. And what strikes me is how down to earth you are for somebody who is so world renowned and how funny you are and how incredible your memory is. You know, you were sharing about how hypnotherapy really helps with memory and um, and I'm fascinated by that because I'm looking to do anything I can to increase my memory. But, um, you know, with you and your husband, it's it's like you're rock and roll, but you come from a different place. It's like rock and roll, but you're helping people. But there's a similar energy to the people I, I certainly used to um, hang around or grow up with. This sort of the rock and roll kind of type, especially with my father and the industry he was, but you carry this energy with you. And it's so refreshing that you can do so in a way that is within the means of self-help. You don't have to be all, you know, it's drugs, sex and rock and roll, <laughs> but you have that sort of essence about you that is really cool. So for anybody out there who's looking at this, who, who is Marissa Peer? So I've been a therapist my entire adult life. And you are right, you know, I think people don't want to go to a therapist and be intimidated by someone who's very cerebral, terribly knowing, and starts to talk in terms that clients don't understand. We will go to a therapist, they really feel bad about themselves. They think they're not good enough. They feel inadequate. They don't need you to start talking about the frontal lobe cortex because that made them feel even more bad. And they quite like it if you use a bit of humor. In a, you're not laughing at them, you're laughing with them. And so I've always found that if you can make therapies, you say a bit more rock and roll, a bit more down to earth, don't wear a white coat and don't work in a clinical office. I've almost always worked from home. People love it. So I love coming here mm. because it's real. And so I thought, yeah, that they, if they like that, it must be true. So I, I was a therapist my entire adult life, but I'm, and I love therapy, but therapy is a little bit outdated. The idea of going to see someone every Wednesday at four o'clock for years and years and years just doesn't work. There's something called Webs, W, that proves it doesn't work, that it's actually not good for the therapist or the client. It's like, you know, if I cut my hand, mm -hmm. I create that wound will heal itself unless I keep pulling it open and then I'll get septicemia too. Mm. So I, I was very keen in creating fast therapy that was very powerful. So I created rapid transformational therapy. Now, basic version, what my clients would tell me, they'd come in and say, oh, my God, that one thing you said, that one thing you did... That one thing you do that was just a game changer. So I sort of collated all the things that my client said worked. Because mm. therapy is about what, what does the client want? It's not what you want. It's mm. what they want, what they need. Then I created a therapy that's very much based on giving the client what they need. Mm. And it's amazing. We've trained well over 15,000 people in it all over the world. We've had won a lot of awards. And it's, I think it's Incredible. the best job. And I've been doing it my entire life. And I love it as much now as I did on day one. And I think when you do what you love and love what you do, it's never really work. It's kind of joy mm. and pleasure and fun too. Mm. You know, when people step into a line of work like this, it's because they've had usually their own challenges oh, yeah. they stepped into. So you had your day one. What was before day one that led you into it? What, what is it that pulled you into this industry? So a lot of things led me into it. My father was a very eminent head teacher. I guess in America you'd call that a principal. Mm -hmm. And my father just loved his job so much. He'd always say, I've got the best job in the world. He made a difference to children. And I, you know, you learn what you live as a kid. You can't help but learn what you live. And so I knew very early on that if you want to be happy, You've got to get a job that has meaning and purpose. So I learned that. But also my father being this head teacher, 
was very invested in other people's children. So I also heard that I'm not enough. You know, he was his, he was paid to care about other people's kids. Mm. You know, that expression that um, cobbler's children are the worst shot. He used to say that all the time because it was certainly true in our house. And so I felt inadequate. I felt not enough. And I didn't really understand that because I literally lived in a house with a white picket fence. Mm. And it all looked lovely from the outside, but in the inside it wasn't really that lovely at all. But I did have an amazing grandmother who believed in me. And I learned that too, that in life you need one person. And for sometimes as a therapist, you are that one person. I've worked with many suicidal teens who go, no one believes in me. I go, what will I do? Mm. And the person that said you and paid for your session does. And actually you can too. We've already got three people now. So we've gone from zero to three. So I think my background, seeing a father that loved his job but but feeling inadequate, was actually the best training to be a therapist I could have ever had. I wouldn't change any of it now. Mm. That's that's the power in it because a lot of people, Mm. you know... (sighs) They get tied up in the story and mm. being in the victim mindset because of childhood and yeah. they, they can't leave that conditioning. And I've seen in my own life mm. how beneficial it is to turn that around and be empowered by that story and how the inadequacies and the limitations mm. and the challenges were actually a benefit. And Julia smiled because you mentioned the grandmother because mm. that was her lighthouse yeah, me growing too. up. Yeah, and and I've got to say, I wonder what my lighthouse was. I think it was my dog Sadie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. was my my. Uh, that's why I have four dogs here. Mm. But you know, you find you find your lighthouse if you look for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I can definitely relate to that. That um, um, I think it's very common where the children feel inadequate in their mm. in their families because of the the lifestyle that um, you know the parents lead and how demanding uh, life is on them. Mm. And uh, in my case, it was the same. My grandmother, she was a teacher herself and uh, she was also working with kids a lot and it's funny that I've, I've recognized that in you as well when I first met mm. you it was a very similar energy um, because um, when I saw you speaking to Eric for example and I saw how you were so interested in him it touched me so deeply that you really wanted to know what books he reads what's in his mind what 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 is in his imagination you know where to go to find out about Roald Dahl and things like that that touched me so deeply because so often when the children are, you know, they are around adults, the mm. adults make it about themselves. Yeah. And they start talking about themselves and they expect the children to be actually, you know, you know, with them on that mm. rather than going into their world. So I, I think it's such a it's such a beautiful quality because as you said yourself, the, the children are so interesting. It's fascinating, you know. I think if you find anyone fascinating... They become fascinating. In mm-hmm. fact, when I work with clients, the most difficult ones, I always say to them, gosh, you're so fascinating, you know. It's so interesting to observe you or... Sorry, let me turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> to that is the, the, the demand from the outside world always yeah. trying to get us. Yeah. So the difficult client, I'll always say, you know, what's so fascinating about you is, or what I've noticed about you is that you suddenly become very engaged when you go, nothing works. And if you find them fascinating, they, they suddenly and think, oh, this person's fat. They open up. So I never criticize clients. Um, I find the most difficult ones are the best ones because, of course, mm. there are teachers. Mm. But children are the same. If you become fascinated with children, I mean, I've worked with so many. I call them the lost boys, like teenage boys from, say, 14 to 17, 18, who've never had a really good male role model mm. and really are into self-hatred. And if you get interested in them, which no one has ever been, they really open up. And so I've worked with many 
kids that were written off and done stunning turns, but it's also about being really interested, not condemning them and just saying, I never say, what's wrong? They always say, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I remember working with this kid who was so angry and he said, you know, I don't have a dad. My dad never saw me when I was born. I've been raised by my grandparents. I really haven't got a book in the house. My mother doesn't see me. No one loves me. And he was so angry. And I said, oh, but you're actually, you're a hurt kid. That's really hurtful. But, you know, you have a dad who's not very smart. And I was saying to him, if you imagine this cup, I said, you know, some people have that much capacity to love, but you have the capacity of an ocean, but a cup can't fill the ocean, but the ocean can fill the cup. And you have to forgive your dad for being an idiot because he is an idiot. <laughs> a dad doesn't see it as an idiot, but, you know, your childhood is a big clock. Mm-hmm. And if it's, this is only the first eight minutes of your life. You've got another 52 minutes to be amazing. And with him, I remember saying to him, look, I'd love to give you a great dad. I can give you the next best thing. Mm. What would a great dad say? And he went, I don't know, because of course, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I said, no, but you do know. Of course you know. A great dad would say, I'm so lucky you're my kid. I'm so proud of you. Being your parent is a joy of my life. You're smart. You're amazing. And so I made him this recording just telling him what a great dad would say. And I said, you know, the mind is so amazing. When you say things, it doesn't go, who's saying that? It just lets it in. It's like putting toast. It's like putting butter on hot toast. The toast can't reject the butter. Mm. It has to let it sink in. And thoughts are like the butter on hot toast. You can't reject them. They go in. And so often with teenagers, just saying, look, all you have to do is change your thinking, think better thoughts, because your mind's job is to make your thoughts real. That's why if you feel embarrassed, you blush. If you're sad, you fill up with tears. And of course, the best example is the placebo. What you think about a drug will have more of an effect on you than what's in the drug, always. And so if your mind's job is to make your thoughts real, then your job is to think better thoughts. And actually, that's a great job because you mm. can do it. Because 17 years are smart and interested and they're, they're passionate, they're on fire. And it's much easier to get a 17-year-old to think different thoughts than a 65-year-old mm. because they're kind of fresh and new. And so for him, it changed his entire life. He's now a famous chef. He's got oh. a great girlfriend. Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. But he really believed nobody believed in him. And it's like, well, somebody did, even if it's just the universe that puts you here through a crazy dad who didn't want you. But we have to believe that you're meant to be here. Mm. Somebody wanted you, they wanted you to be you. And that somebody... If it's the world, will support you in everything you do. So it's just turning that belief, I'm not wanted, I don't matter, nobody cares, to, well, even if that is true, you don't have to believe that anymore. And sometimes if you look at someone like Oprah Winfrey or Wayne Dyer or Tony Robbins, who had really disadvantaged, I mean, Wayne Dyer was in an orphanage. Mm. Oprah had a baby when she was 14. She was terribly abused. But they've all turned that around. They've all said, that's only the first eight minutes. I got the rest of my life to make it better. And sometimes having a disadvantaged child gives you what I call, I'll show you. You you want to fight back. I think having a privileged life, as lovely as it is, I think for some people, nothing is ever as good again. So it's just, when it was for me, it's like nothing mm. can ever be as bad again. It can only be better. Mm. And if you could say, look, if you had a gifted, amazing life, everything now is disappointing. But even if they were, it can only get better. The first bit wasn't great because we say this stupid thing. Your school days are the best days of your life. Hello, that, that's not true. For some people, they're awful. Mm-hmm. Got to go to school and learn Latin and biology and wear a uniform and eat horrible food. When you're left, you can do whatever you like and wear what you like, eat what you like. So we've got to stop all these messages that really damage people. But it's, isn't it so difficult to get out of those thought patterns because they almost consume you? Mm. They become part of you, you know? Yeah. 
Like so many people complain saying like, I would love to be positive, but I don't just don't know how to stop thinking yeah. these negative thoughts. Yeah. And I think we're taught that a lot, you know, you can't change, but actually from yeah. the day you're born, you're changing and changing your thoughts is easy. For instance, I had a friend, she was a farmer's daughter, raised on a farm. She went to an abattoir and she came out, she goes, that's it. I can never eat meat again for the rest of my life. If you've ever eaten, say, shellfish and been violently sick and that mm. made you think that's it. I can never eat shrimp again. People have got drunk and said, you know, from that minute, mm -hmm. my husband, he was little, a little boy, somebody threw whiskey in his face outside and he can't even smell whiskey. So we actually can change like that. And often something we think, oh no, I could, one of my friends got chickens today. She said, I don't know what's happened, but I can't eat chicken now because she changed her belief about what a chicken is. So a thought is something you think, and the belief is nothing more than a thought that you think a lot. So you have to look at your thoughts, challenge them, and change them. So here's a thought. You know, if you're a successful woman, you'll never find a man. Well, that's not true. Look at someone like Michelle Obama. Men don't like women who are not beautiful. Men leave you. Women like gold diggers. If you're successful, you never know who your friends are. A fool in his money. We hear all these crazy things, but that one... If you're successful, you never know who your friends are. And we call rich people fat cats. And we, we kind of mm. do this whole cultural thing of thinking people with wealth are not spiritual, which isn't true. I've worked with many people who weren't spiritual, became immensely wealthy, and then said, you know what, I've got so much money, what can I do with it? Well, I might as well build a children's home, build some schools, because sometimes it's the other way around. Spiritual people can be wealthy, but wealthy people can often become spiritual. Mm. So you have to get past it. Oh, I shouldn't make money because I'm not spiritual. Go, look, if you're going to do something good with it, even 30 years down the line. But we have to really challenge those beliefs. So how you change your thoughts is you challenge them. Mm. You know, is that true? Was it ever true? And if, is it true for me? So my grandmother would say things like, My grandmother, you know, you must never talk about periods. That's a terrible thing. And now people talk about them and they have ad. And, and she, my grandmother, you walked through the house with a packet of Tampax, she, she would think that was just a terrible thing. <laughs> now that's not, not, no longer a thing. Of course. When I was at school, there was a girl who was pregnant and that was like such a disgrace. She had to leave and it was just awful. But nobody cares about single parents anymore. So all the things that we believe are changing all the time. Mm. And just because it was true once, it's like they used to take out people's appendix as a, as a, as a, it's just a normal thing. We now think, well, no, don't do that. That's not a good thing. So if you think you can't change your belief, challenge it. Where did I get this belief from? Who told you to me? Where is it ever true? Even if it's true for them, it doesn't have to be true for me. Mm -hmm. So you've got to keep changing your beliefs constantly by challenging them. And because you see, the minute you question a belief, you don't believe it. You know, when your children go, Mommy, is Father Christmas really real? Because I saw that you had a stuck-on beard. And how does somebody that big get down a chimney that big? Mm. You know they're challenging it. Mm. That's why many religions don't want you to challenge the belief, because if you challenge it, You actually don't believe it. So challenge it. That's yeah, how you challenge that's, it. That's actually quite interesting because I was going to ask another question, but now you're talking about challenging it because this podcast is about questioning, questioning, questioning yeah. reality, yeah. right? And there's a lot of people in the world right now who are, you know, forced to believe in something. Have you heard of the um, mass psychosis? Yeah. The idea that the whole like the COVID situation, mm. for example, how... Um, The inventor of the MRSA, you know, he mentioned this thing that people are um, convinced and told to go and follow this path and take this mm. vaccine. And, and they're not questioning the reality. They're no. just obedient to the authority. Mm. Um, 
you know, is that a healthy way to go? I mean, is that just a mass population? I don't think so. You know, when I was a kid, you know, doctors were God, school teachers were God. You never question them. But now we say, oh, I, why do I have to take that medication? And, you know, there's a great, I love this thing. If you want to get better, have difficult patient written on your notes. Because I want to go, what's that for? Why am I taking it? Why are you giving me that? What will that do? You know, when I, when I got run over in December... They came and they wanted to give me morphine. And I said, but I'm not in pain. I'm in discomfort. Mm. I don't, I'm not in pain, so I don't need painkillers. Like, we well, should take one. I said, but, but why? What's the point? And I had to say, stop coming in my room all the time. Stop giving, I don't want any drugs. Stop peddling drugs on me. Yeah, because I'm not yeah. in pain. I'm in discomfort. And if I get myself comfortable in bed, I don't need anything. But it's that belief that we just, doctors say, here, and I say, what's that for? What's that? Why are you giving me that one? And I don't want that. But you have to take agency over your own health. And so I, I really think for anyone, you should never just take medication. There's no such thing as a side effect. That's an effect. Mm. Why should I take that? What is it actually, is it benefiting me at all? Like one of my clients said to me, you know, I, I was so depressed. I couldn't have sex with my husband. My doctor gave me pros. I said, I'm still depressed. I still can't have sex with him. But you know what? I don't care anymore because I'm numb. <laughs> I'm just numb. And I thought, well, what's the point of that? Now you still have the same problem, but you just yeah. don't care because you're so medicated. Exactly. But you know, it's the same thing with the anti-vaxxers. Those yeah. who questioned it were yeah. suddenly put in a box oh, and shamed and mm. judged. And now it's coming back full yeah, swing and going, we, yeah. oh, the politicians are now stepping out going, oh, no, no, they should have questioned. And But then the, by then the damage is already done. Yeah. So for those you know people who may be sort of caught up in that and still... What I've noticed is people are getting misled. It's, you know, being believing about the vaccines or it's believing that Russia is bad mm. and America's good or, oh, of course, you know, it's yeah. like, it feels like I see the next thing that the sheep seem to follow. Mm. And, you know, we're about awakening people. Mm. When, you know, we're awakened people, we can mm. at least discern between manipulation for some means and people who are doing something, you know, uh, out of free will. How can we better equip people who could listen to this to be able to discern between the um, reality, knowing that they should follow authority mm. or not, because we're all kind of trapped into that. But you know, it starts at school because most schools will say, we love the individual and we nurture it, but they really don't. They mm. want you to conform. You've got to wear the same uniform. And if you turn up with a different one, it's like, no, you, you have to look the same and you can't really question the teachers. So... You have to try and find a school where your child can have an opinion. You know, I remember when I was at school, there was one girl who was a vegetarian. She had to eat lunch separately from everyone else in the classroom. It's like, because, and there was another little girl who was Indian and she also had to eat her food separately because the school didn't like that everyone's got to have the same lunch. Mm. I mean, that doesn't happen now. But we have to teach our children to challenge a belief. Mm. And so... Of course, when they say to you, well, why do I have to do that? You know, why have I got to put on a coat because you're cold? Why have I got to eat because you're hungry? Why have I got to go to bed because you're tired? You should love children that do that because mm. they'll never be bullied and they are the ones who can make changes. So they'll challenge you and question you, but you have to nurture that and nourish that and think, wow, I've got a child who's challenging things. As it should be. And yeah. for us, we want that, but yeah. at the same time, I... I catch myself when you're saying something and the child does question it. You can feel that that part of you that has mm, the power yeah. and the authority of going, stop questioning it. Yeah. And we stamp it. And it's not to judge any parent, but every parent goes through that because they don't want to have to mm. deal with a questioning child. Because life is hard when you have a curious child who's questioning about everything. Mm. Mm. But you have to really nurture that. And so also true. when they argue with you, 
Who else can they argue with when they're 10? They're, they, you want to be thrilled that they argue with you because they're learning debating skills. The worst child you can have is one who's obedient. just meek and obedient because they're the ones who say, oh, well, I had to have sex with that boy or I had to steal that stuff because mm. I felt I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to know how to say no. And we all want kids who aren't bullied. Mm. And don't feel pressure to take drugs. That's such a pressure for children, mm. drugs and smoking and drinking. And you want one who can say, like my little girl said a few years ago, Mommy, how do you make a boy like you? I said, disagree with everything they say. <laughs> they say they like smoking, say so it's stupid. They say they like football, say so I like cricket. You know, have an opinion. Boys like you more. And she yeah. went, oh, okay. So she's always done that. And people <laughs> like that. You, you like people that have a challenge, but... Life is easier for schools and parents if we have kids who go along with everything, but they don't become happy adults because they become people pleasers. Yeah. Oh, yes. And they find it hard to say no. Mm. And, of course, that classic thing of don't you argue with me, you do as I say. Then you go, well, why did you go along? Why did you smoke just because your friends are? Because you told me from the age of 10, don't argue with me, do as I say. Which means then you don't have to take responsibility for your life because then yeah. you can blame them. Yeah. So there's a kind of, it serves them in some way. Yeah. And that whole blaming thing too, you know, we have to get over the blame. Nobody, yeah. it's, as a parent, it's impossible to get it right. You know, you're always going to get something wrong. And you know, the best you can ever be in life ever is a flawed person having a flawed relationship with flawed people. I call it being flawsome. So you're always going to be a flawed parent. I'm always going to be a flawed wife. Yeah. A flawed mother. Luckily, my husband is flawed too, so we can have a great flawed relationship. But most people think, oh, no, I've got to be perfect. I'm looking at these magazines and looking in. Everyone looks perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their homes are perfect. And there is no perfect. And if you join that race to be perfect, there is no finishing line ever. As you get close to it, it moves and it moves again. So people who try to be perfect are the unhappiest mm -hmm. Often the loneliest too, because the basis of friendship is we choose people who share our vulnerabilities, but perfect people hide their vulnerabilities so they can't connect. And one of the laws of life is that we are hardwired to find connection and avoid rejection. We're born wired to find connection, avoid rejection. That's how you survive on the planet. But if you're perfect, you don't find any rejection, but you find a lot, you don't mm. find any connection, but you find a lot of rejection. You think, okay, I need to be more perfect, but actually it's the opposite. Embrace your flaws, own them, be proud of them, and then you'll connect and have a better life. That's oh, so beautiful. Absolutely agree. Well, it, it kind of brings it back to um, this self-confidence that children mm. have not have to learn, but we, we have to support them in nurturing that self-confidence. Yeah. And it's just like that cheerleader, mm, in a cheerleader yeah. um, a subject you were telling us about at dinner the other day. Yes. Could you share a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, so, you know, we all have a critic that says, that's not going to work, you can't do that, look at this person, they're better than me. And the critic can really take over. But we also have a cheerleader. And so I created actually for adults who say, oh gosh, my kid loves this. And so I created a program for schools called the Five Day Challenge where each child creates a cheerleader that lives in their head. And a cheerleader only knows one thing. I'm going to cheer for you, even on a bad day. No football team says, oh my God, you were awful. The cheer don't, cheer don't go, you were terrible, you stank up the place. They go, well, you did the best you could. 
So these children have their own children that believes in them, that tells them what they're good at, and also reminds them of something. You're not meant to be good at everything. You know, I was giving a talk years ago, and this man in the audience said, how can I make my child be good at everything? I said, are you? And he said, what, good at everything? He said, no. I said, well, there's your answer. How dare you ask your child to be good at everything mm-hmm. when you're not? Mm-hmm. A scientist can't be good at art. An artist can't really be good at Latin. They're working in a different part of their brain. Creative people are amazing, but they're very different to people who are logical. And so the cheerleader focus on, listen, you only have to be good at one thing. If you're good at computers or design, that's your gift. That's your skill set for the rest of it. You don't need to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And so it makes the children believe in themselves. It tells them. It fills what I call the missing bit, the praise, because there is nothing on the planet that will boost your self-esteem better than praise. And your own praise has more of an impact than someone else's who may have an agenda. Hey, you're a great kid. Can you stay behind now and tie up the classroom? That, that's the praise that's mm. manipulated. But when you praise yourself, your mind goes, well, you say this so much, it must be true. Again, it's like the butter sinking into the toast. When you put lotion on dry skin, it goes in and it's balm. But words are balm for your soul. So it's giving the children all the words they need to hear. I'm good, I'm amazing, I've got this, I can do it, I'm smart, I have a gift. And every school that's got this program says, you know what's extraordinary is the children aren't just doing better academically, emotionally, they don't fight, they're not bullying, they really get on, they're all recognizing I have a gift and my gift is different to someone else's gift. And all I have to do, and it's true as an adult too, you, you have to find your gift and be amazing again. And your gift lies directly behind it's connected to what you love. So making a kid love math when they hate math doesn't work. A creative, artistic kid, they have to find what they love. And that that's why you're here. Find out what you love, monetize it, grow it, develop, and be amazing at what you're already meant to do. You can never be amazing doing something you hate. Mm. And that's the problem with schools because they say we've all got to do math, we've all got to do algebra, we've all got to do science, we've all got to learn French. You know, I hated French when I was at school because I was a creative kid. I loved art, loved English, loved writing, loved drama, mm. loved, but I didn't like French. I didn't, re- I didn't mind biology, but forcing kids to do the thing they hate. In fact, in, in Sweden and Finland, you only go to the lessons you like. There's no compulsory lessons at all. And they have such a balanced society because if you go to what you like, like say you like IT, well, that's what you're going to do as an adult. Mm. So it's such a shame that we force kids because if you force someone who hates science to do science, they feel like a failure because I don't understand it. I can't get it. We really have to update education and nurture each child's gift. We need to set them up for success. Yeah, set when them, we feel yeah. like we really are setting them. I mean, <clears throat> from my own experience growing up in my school, it was horrendous. Um, I didn't feel like I could fit in anywhere. I didn't mm. feel there was any particular subject. I think it was just the school mm. itself. And I really did feel um, not enough. And But I think it carried on from my childhood at home sure. into the school. So what can we do to help um, parents right now who have children in school right now who are in the system that they can... Give them the tools to be their own cheerleader right now. Well, they can sign up to the five-day challenge. You can find that. It's all over YouTube. We will give that to anyone. We give it to schools, youth clubs, anyone. But we'll also give it to any parent who wants it because 
It's such an extraordinary thing because as a parent, here's your job. Mm. Raise children with high self-esteem. It doesn't matter how much mandarin they learn or organic broccoli you give them. If you haven't raised their self-esteem, you haven't done your job, which is a great shame. And teachers, well, that is the job of a teacher. Raise kids with high self-esteem. So how do you do that? Well, you praise your kids a lot, not oh, you're great, but when you see them doing something, hey, I notice you're so good at washing the dog or you were really good with your sister, give them praise for something they're doing. Raise it, get them to say, you know, I used to come home with my little girl and say, tell me what you were good at today and she'd find something, something she wouldn't and I'd find something. Then we'd play this game, but how many people love fade when we'd start with grandmother and we'd have run out of fingers and have to do toes and she loved playing mm-hmm. that game. And we just talk about what you're good at. Yes, your friend is great at gymnastics, but that's her gift. You've got a different gift. So find your kid's gift. So a lot of people do, they say to their kids, um, you know, you, you want to earn some money so you can wash the dishes and take out the garbage. But that's a very strange message for a child because it says to earn money, I've got to do really menial, horrible jobs. So mm. much better to say, okay, I want you to manage um, mommy's diary this week. I want you to reorganize the living room. I want you to reorganize the, the books or something, something that uses their talent. Creativity. I want you, yeah, to do something. It's quite mm. hard. I want you to cook. I mean, of course, they're going to completely trash your kitchen. <laughs> but when you just pay them for washing the dishes, you have to think, what message am I sending? You get money for doing menial stuff that you hate. Many people say, it's great. My kids are earning their own money. They're, they're taking out the trash every mm. day. But you've got to think about what's the message you're sending to them. Could you get them to do something else like write a project or do something else, even if it's not really very good, that makes them think, wow, mm. I can earn money doing something I love. My mom's got me reorganizing the shelves or reorganizing the library or anything. My mom's got me color coding something. You've got to find something. Even you know, emptying the dishwasher isn't great for children. It's good that they contribute to the house, but I know what you mean. It's you can't limiting. pay them. It's so limiting. Yeah, and you're already setting... It's true, yeah. you're connecting yeah. the, the synapses of the brain to kids, menial you know, jobs yeah, for no yeah. reason. We actually created a game called the value game. Yeah. So instead of money, they would get value points yeah. for different tasks. So yeah. the, admittedly, they were picking out the weeds mm. at one point, or they were just looking yeah. for anything. And yeah. we said, look, if you want to read, if you want to do some creative, mm. we'll give you the point so you can yeah. use that to spend on yeah. your iPad time or mm. things like this. Could we really... Yeah. You know, the hardest thing was our imagination of what could they actually do yeah. to earn it. So it really does help open up that there are other ways and means. Yeah, and if your child's an artist, they want you to write, draw all these cards. They want you to draw the Christmas cards or the birthday or cards. Or, yeah. or something, or, yeah. or draw on some paper or make it into wrapping paper. Or get yeah. them to wrap gifts or anything that they find more, that they can use their imagination on. Mm. So you do have to work at that a bit. But I would ask them, you know, what do you love doing? Mm. You know, I'm going to, is it all right to turn it a little bit into, um, because obviously right now this is, this has been an issue for a while, but now, now we're turning to something really quite unique, um, especially in in the US, you know, we're having parents who have children who are on social media, who are getting very confused Mm. right now about their sexuality, um, who they identify as now. You know, people could say, well, this is how I was born. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if a mother who is known as a them mm. or, uh, you know, and they have children, one's LGBTQ and one is this, the odds of a child 
associating themselves to a particular mm. group is like one in, they say, uh, a million. So mm. having two in one family is one in seven billion. So mm. it looks like it's more conditioning than if you were born with it. And I just wanted to see from a from a therapist perspective, you know, that this is going on and parents not sure what to do about it and maybe children are confused with what's going on, mixed messages. Yeah. What can we do to help I bring think some again, clarity? When you, you know, when your kid comes to them and says, hey, I'm gay or I'm transgender, don't judge them, don't do anything. Just say, you know, you can be whatever you want to be because often it might be a phase they'll grow out of and the worst thing you can do as a parent is say, that's not acceptable. You know, one of my friends, they're so liberal. Their, their kid, when he got to 14, became a devout Muslim. And they were like, what's going on? I said, well, you've given him nothing to rebel against. You're so liberal. You let him smoke weed in the house. He has oh, no wow. boundaries. Mm. They were really liberal, but lovely. But he had no boundaries. He could have his girlfriend sleep in his bed from the age he was 14. And so he became a devout Muslim. And they were totally baffled by that. But I had another friend. Oh, cool. And they were... Vegans, very new earth, you know, they meditated every day. And the kid, the minute he was 18, came in with a bottle of Jack Daniels in his pocket and a burger. And they're like, oh, my God. I said, look, you you know, again, he can't rebel against anything. You're so spiritual and everything is wonderful and meditating. And now he's brought a McDonald's into the house because he wants to rebel against yeah. you. So you just That's gotta natural. Go, don't fight it. Just might have go, oh, mummy. Might have go once said, mummy, I don't want... um. I want medicine like all my friends. She had, I was giving her, she said, I don't want that. I want cowpole. I said, okay, we'll get you cowpole. She's like, everyone else has cowpole. Why can't I have cowpole? I don't want lavender oil on my head or I want medicine. And so you have to go, okay, I get it. You feel different. But when your kids rebel or come up and say, you know, I'm gay, you go, well, that's wonderful. Whoever you marry, I'll be at the wedding. I don't mind what you do. I'm, I'm here to support you because sometimes they're challenging you to see what you're doing often, they're just looking. Mm. You remember we have that need to connect. And when your kids are they connect you, when they're 14, they don't want to connect. They want to connect to, I don't know, someone else, Ed Sheeran or Eminem or anyone that isn't you. And we connect by belonging to a group. So often when you see bullies, they'll pick on one kid and all the other kids feel they have to join in with that because yeah. I'm either being the bully or I'm being the bullied. Mm. So it's the same reason why children join gangs. And cults, the need to belong mm -hmm. is hardwired. So if your kids join some weird group, just be there, support them. Try not to judge as much as you. If they come home and go, hey, mom, I'm lifting weights and look at my legs. Oh, my God, they're so big. They go, no, I like it like that. I go, well, that's good. You like it? That's fine. They come home in some weird fashion. You like it? Mm. That's fine. You know, they want to shave their hair or grow their hair. It's really not our job to say, that doesn't look right. Mm. You can say, you know, darling, actually going for this job with paint all over your clothes, maybe you're going to send the wrong message, but if you really want to go like that, go, but you probably won't get the job. You have to do it in a different way. You know, my daughter once, she's a painter, and we were going out, and she was covered in paint, and I said, you know, I know you're taking this thing back to the shop to get a refund, but I want you to think about when they see you like that, they mm. probably will think, you don't care, so maybe just try and look a little smarter so you get the refund. But you have to make them feel it's their idea. Mm -hmm. mm. You just have to be, you know, you have to guide your kids without judging. When you go, I hate your friends, I hate your boyfriend, I hate your girlfriend, you have to just 
accept it because they're not really yours. You know, we exactly. think we own our kids, but they come True. through us, but not from us. They have ideas that are totally different to us. Yet my daughter is nothing like me. But, you know, you're not supposed to give birth to yourself. How boring would that be if you created yourself? You. People say, yeah. I got three kids, they're all different. It's like, I know. That's the point. Imagine if they're identical, even identical twins. They're not the same. And would you really want an identical you, you know, at the end of the day, with all your own yeah. issues and everything? I always say to Just my daughter, out your you know, way, that's I say all. to my daughter, you're my teacher, you know, yeah. you're my teacher. And, she, and then she'd say, Mummy, I've spilt the juice, but I know I'm your teacher. So yeah. she was very clever. But <laughs> your kids are your teachers. They, yeah. they teach you a lot. You should never try to be, make them like you. You should try to be like them. Mm. For instance, watch how children eat. They don't bolt food. They leave it when they've had enough. And we should all think, wow, I should eat like my kids, not make my kids eat like me. Finish everything on your plate and mm. no dessert until you finish the main course. So oh, all my dad would say to, make, to me, mm, you know, there's children starving in Africa, you know, eat your yeah, food when them. I was growing up. And, yeah. and I would eat the food and I would eat another plate. So yeah, I would just keep going to yeah. be fair. For the children in Africa. Yeah, for, for the children in yeah, Africa. And then I see all these people who say, no, I can't leave food. I don't know what full is. I go, but you know what? That's, that's learned. No baby says, uh, I keep going. Yeah. I'm just not stopping. So we're all born able to leave food. We're born full of self-love. We're born with a great, no baby says this walking is so hard. I'm just going to not bother. We learn half of what we know in our whole life before we're five. Mm. And so as a parent, you need to try as much as you can. Don't make your children like you, but try to be like them, engage with them. But you're absolutely right that, you know, for sure, a parent, a loving authority it comes yeah. in because people don't really know what a loving authority mm. is. That's why we, a lot of people are so controlled yeah. because they think that is what a loving authority is because they've been conditioned that way. And what upsets me is seeing young children who are confused mm. and the establishment coming in and castrating or giving mm. medicines to children where they can't be reversed because yeah. they're not sure who yeah. they are yet. Mm. And then we, and we all go through that, you know, we all yeah. identify to something, an astronaut, mm. a girl, a boy, mm. we, you know, I think I even went through that stage myself. I, I think my sister had me wearing dresses when of I was course, a kid, yeah. but I could have, you know, could it have been seen that suddenly that's who I wanted to mm. be. And then that was, you know, then it's, you can't reverse it. And I think it's the, it's the corporations or government that mm. sort of are, and tagging, antagonizing mm. it and pushing these movements through. And, and I feel like they're benefiting and, and earning money mm. from it. And that's just where the issue lies, you know? Yeah, really and most kids don't parents. really know who they are. It's very hard to know who you are at 14, 15. What are you going to do for the yeah. rest of your life? So and even true. if you know that, I've used people who say, no, I wanted to be a lawyer from the age of 14 and now I'm a lawyer and I actually hate it. I don't, why did I go into law mm. or why did I go into accountancy? Because my parents wanted me to. And so it's normal for children to not know who they are. It takes them a long time to find themselves. We have to give them that long time. And if they go, you know, my daughter went to college to do criminology and she said, Mommy, I don't like it. I said, you can change. And then she's changed again. And I always said, look, if you don't like it, you can come home. I always gave her that option. If you don't like college, you can come home. It's not like, well, you've gone, I've paid the money, you've got to stay there and make it work. You have to allow them to go, I've made a mistake. Yeah. I thought I liked this course. It's like saying I got married and it didn't work. I go, well, that's okay. That was just your starter marriage. It's okay <laughs> to make mistakes. How can you learn if you don't make a mistake? And Napoleon said a man who never made a mistake, well, he never made anything because you learn through mistakes and yet... 
we just well, you know, that was a mistake. You, why have you why have you changed? Why are you getting divorced? Why are you leaving college? Why are you not sticking it out? Because you know, we're always finding ourselves, and it takes a long time. It takes certainly more than your teens to find out who you are, what your skill set is, what you what makes your heart sing. What are you meant to do? And in fact, one of the causes of depression. It's not a chemical imbalance in your brain. It's failing to follow your hearts. It's, like, it's one of the main things that makes people depressed. Oh, my goodness. And yet no so one true. teaches that. That mm. Okay, you know, you you went through four years of law school. We paid all that money and now you hate it. You want to, It's okay to change because if you don't follow your hearts, you will be depressed. Mm. Always. I mean, there are three things that cause depression. Failing to follow your heart's desire is a big one. Being disconnected from people is huge. And then the final one, harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say about yourself on a regular basis. That's what causes depression. It's not a chemical imbalance in your brain at all. But, you know, we don't tell people that, you know, if you need to follow There's your no money in telling people that for. And also the disconnection. You know, now we have a world where you can get an Uber and not speak to them. Go yeah. to the bank and, and do all your banking without speaking to us. So go to the store. It's all automated. Mm. And... We're disconnecting people. We're actually that we need connection and not rejection. But if you look at how much we're computerizing everything, we're actually giving people disconnection mm. because you know in Japan you can rent robots to keep you company. I mean, who thought of that? Thought that was a good idea or homeschooling it's only kids? Get worse. I know. Of course, it's going to get worse because we're making people not needed. Well, and then they're easily able to be controlled, I, I feel, mm. because they're looking for connections somewhere and authority yeah. will tell them and they'll listen. Yeah, but, and that's why children get into cults and gangs, yes. because of the need to belong. You know, the need to belong is so powerful that if you don't factor that in and what we're doing to humanity, because we're going to play some AI is mm. better than them. Mm. You know, nobody wants a designer. They can get AI to do it. Mm. AI is doing our kids' homework for them, mm. but... That's not really great for them because they're not learning mm. to get to get, make a mistake not and challenging get better. Themselves. But yeah. that's where I wanted to go into because you mentioned before, you know, if your child doesn't want to do something, because then there's a fine line between you sure don't don't mm. do it, or they need a little challenge to go oh, look. Yeah. You know, like um, Eric yesterday was Eric is uh, our son. When I mean, you mentioned Eric before, for anybody who not sure who Eric is, um, he didn't want to do football because he was tired. And I said, look, you know. We've already paid for it. <laughs> and look, you're young, you have full of energy, have a snack. And I'm sure when you get there, you're going to have a great time. And so rather than, and Judy was, you know, like a little bit, well, mm. does he have to go? And it's, they, mm. if we don't challenge them and they feel like they can just sort of go, I don't feel like it and I'm just going to give mm. up. So then it's they, a commitment issue. You know, and uh, it's a fine line of going, mm. don't push them too hard. Mm. But they also need a challenge oh, yeah. a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Because actually, although I said you shouldn't, make a career of doing something you hate that's the difference if your kid hates sport and you make them do sport and you want them to be a musician I've worked with so many kids mm -hmm. who have migraines it's always because they have to play the piano I've never met a kid ever that loves the piano but I've met many parents who go no they've got to do the piano and it's so important and I want them to go into music and stuff, but they don't like it this mm -hmm. is your dream you've got to dream another dream <laughs> you can't dream your kids dreams for them because they're not you they have dreams of their own which may not make sense 
sense to you. It's like a meat eater having a vegan child or a vegan family having a kid that goes, actually, I want to eat meat. One of my friends was saying, I said to him, why can't I eat meat? He said, well, because of our religion. He said, but why? Well, my friends eat meat. They were like, nope. No, but of course, with him, he got older, he wanted to try it. He became and, a butcher. Yeah, <laughs> not quite, but it sounds a little contradictory. You only grow when you do what you hate, and the mark of people who are successful is they will do what they hate to get to where they want to be. They'll stay up all night studying for their exams, they'll risk rejection, they'll ask for investors, they'll, they'll go out there and do what they do not want to do. Mm. If it takes their dream. People who fail will give up their dream before they do what they hate. So you have to teach your kids, that, look, I know you don't want to do this studying. I know you don't want to get up early and do this. I know you don't want to play football. But you know that if you want to be successful, you've got to do what you don't want to do. Mm to get to where you want to be. So that's different doing mm. what you hate as opposed to having a career in something mm. that withers you. Mm. So you've got to find what you love. But, you know, I could say I love being a therapist. I love writing books. But I do a lot of things I don't like. I'm always on a plane. I'm always, I don't like all of it. Mm. It's really hard to find a job that you say, I can only do the bit I love. Mm. You know, even Beyonce would say, you know, I, I was watching a Tina Turner documentary. She would rehearse for 10 hours a day. So the bit she loved was going on stage, but they did a lot of rehearsals. Beyonce said, I don't eat cake ever. No, don't, I don't eat cake. I work with a lot of footballers a who say, you know, sacrifice. I don't stay up late. I, I don't drink. I don't party. I don't eat refined sugar. I'd like to, but my goal is to be an amazing footballer. So I understand the that sacrifices. anything you require will require you to learn something, you do something new and give up something. You've got to have the sour so the sweet tastes sweeter, yeah. as they say. It's like the weave of a cloth. You can't just have one. It can't just go one way. Yeah, it's yeah. like saying, you know, I want love, but what if they die? What if they leave? What if I have a baby and something's wrong with it? And mm. we can deny ourselves so much with the what ifs and the what mm. ifs, but you have to get past to that. Yeah, you have to live. Life is risky. We're not getting out of this yeah. alive. And the only Yet. risk in life, by the way, is not to take the risk. That's exactly. the only risk. Not taking so the risk mm-hmm. is the biggest risk of all so, because the risk teaches you something. So, mm-hmm. so those who are looking to make the leap, but they're just too afraid, what can we do to help them Well, you know, leap? sometimes you have to say, you have to turn fear into excitement. You know, I'm, I'm going to open my own business. What if it goes wrong? Well, it might, but mm-hmm. you might learn something. Many people will say... Like Edison and the light bulb and the guy who invented KFC, that there was a lot of failures along the way. If you watch Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, you'll see that people go through a lot before they get the right right thing. And so you have to, I call it my friend failure. You know, um, years ago, someone came to me and said, hey, do you want to do this job as a television presenter? And I'm like, sure. And it was all about serotonin because I'd written this part about, you know, serotonin, the part that plays in depression. And I had to stand in this park and get so excited about a banana and jump up and down. I thought, oh, my God, I've got the greatest respect for TV. I didn't realize how hard that was. It felt so fake and unnatural, but I was interested. I did it because it just wasn't me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't Mm. do that because it was so different to who I am. And so I learned, oh, I don't want that. And my daughter, who's a really good artist, one day she was scouted in London by a modeling agent. She went to London Fashion, which walked the cat, which goes, Mommy, I hated every minute of it. 
I never want to do that again. I could only ever be an artist. But everyone thinks, oh, how amazing to be a model, to be scouted, mm. to walk the cowk at London. For mm. I hated every minute of it because it, it's not me. But she learned, oh, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Because you can only do what you love. It's like when I'm speaking on stage, the way I feel, I know, oh, this is what I meant to be because mm. it feels so good. Mm. I've, for I've, you the same, yeah. yeah. I've done like a hundred different mm. careers in my life um, and writing a book about it, how many times yeah. I have failed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how much shame I've had to mm. deal with. And now realizing that, you know what, shame is like my medal. Yeah. You know what? It's showing showing that it's okay mm. to have come from where you've come from, to make the decisions you've made. It doesn't have to um, hold you into a prison sentence, no. you know. And for me, that has been my journey. And this is why I'm putting this book together because I've, you know, to bear it all, every little failure is... yeah. And every failure scary, showed but... you what makes your heart sing. You know, I, yeah. I find if I sit in meetings about accounts, my eyes just glaze over. <laughs> but I have a greatest people who say, oh, I love accounts and I love numbers, I love figures. Mm. I, I can't even imagine that for me. But, you know, that's the whole point. You're supposed to be good at one thing. If we're all good at everything, we'd never employ an accountant or a designer or a cook or a chef or mm. we wouldn't employ it. We could do it all myself. And I tell children that, look, imagine if you were good at everything. Mm. That would be so unfair. You're supposed to be good at one thing. Let someone else be good at one thing. Mm. And that's how the world would go. This person's an amazing chef and this person's an amazing designer and this person's an amazing creator. And this is the part I play. But if we were all good at everything, the world would be horrible. Mm. Mm. Nobody would get employed because we could do everything ourselves. And it's a great thing to go, well, this is my gift. And I earn money with my gift to pay you mm. for your gift. And that's how the world should be. And in schools, we should all be recognizing each child's gift mm. and not making them. And I was working with a kid recently. He said, I, I can't do what he could not. I don't think he could do. He was trying to learn Spanish, but he was really good. I said, darling, your life's going to be computers. And the computer can translate everything into Spanish. So... You don't have to learn Spanish. Who told you you have to learn Spanish? You can delegate. You can yeah, special you can technology to get to where everything. it is you want. Everything. Yeah, mm, it's so true. Beautiful. I, I had um, just another question came to my mind, and it's just slipped out. It was. Um, Oh, where did it go? It was uh, really spot on. <laughs> well, for I had this. a thought. Maybe I'll do my thought, and then yours will come back yes, to you. Know, as a parent, the most important thing is to own your mistakes because you know a child's life is very simple. I'm nice to my mummy, but she's shouting at me. I'm nice to my daddy, but he never comes to visit me. He's always at work. So a kid will think mummy's always at work because she likes it more than me. Daddy's mm. always in the pub because yeah. he likes it more than me. So as a parent, you have to say to your kid, you know, I'd, I'd like to be with you more than anything. Mummy is going to work today to be a nurse, to help people. But if I could choose, I'd just be at home with you. Because the most damaging thing I've seen in all my career is that when a parent doesn't appear to love the child or get the child or be present with the child, the child doesn't stop loving the parent, they immediately stop loving themselves. And they carry that sometimes forever. And they say, you know, my dad was never there, my mum was never there, or they said, you don't come home without 100%. Mm. If you come home pregnant, don't come home. If you ever take drugs, that's it. And often they're trying to mould the kid, but remember, if your child feels that you don't love them, they won't stop loving you, but they'll stop loving themselves. And once they buy into that, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, smart enough, worthy enough, interesting enough. I should have been a girl. I should have been a boy. I was meant to take over the family firm. Once they buy into that, oh, I'm not enough, they will, they can carry that forever. Mm. So your job as a parent is to be present with your kid. Mm. 
That's all they ever want. Be present with them. Nurture their own dreams that are very different to yours. Read that poem by the prophet Gilead. You know, your children are not your children. They're the sons of tomorrow, and you can't visit that even in your dreams. And it talks about how you're the bow and they're the arrow, and the arrow goes forwards, not backwards, and you have to let them go and dream their own dreams. But do remember, if they don't think you love them, they won't stop loving you, they will stop loving themselves. And that can be a lifelong condemnation for them. So you have to go, I love you. I say to my little girl, I will never punish you for telling the truth. Whatever you tell me, and that was hard because she'd tell me things that made my eyes pop out on a stalk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she'd always say, Mummy. So much better they do, though. Yeah, and I say, You know, whatever you do, you always have a sanctuary here. I'll all, whatever you do, mm. I won't like it, but I will, I will always stand by you. Because my wife helped me for this, for sure, to fill this home because mm. I never had that. And you were just describing yeah. that not feeling enough. And, yeah. and a lot of people don't know if they actually have a home where they feel mm. like they can be accepted for who they mm. truly are. And when you're accepted for who you truly are and you have a safe space and I've, I've shared it all with my wife and things that would make people's eyes pop out. Mm. And because I was able to speak it, it didn't own me anymore, mm. the shame the past. So, because I noticed that when you have shame that you can't speak, that shame then attracts yeah. more shame and it hooks mm. onto other shame and makes you do things that you wouldn't usually mm. do. And I've noticed that in my life. And until I could speak it out, it was like I'm pushing it down mm. and it would find its way to come up. But the mind suppresses, the body expresses. Of course. Until I was able to find a safe space. And that's mm. what it is you're t talking about. And New Earth is about how do we form a community that, yeah. you know, we can come together and have a safe space. And it's beautiful mm. that you you created this um, RTT therapy, mm. right? And that was my question that I forgot about. And this is why I need hypnotherapy to help mm. my memory. <laughs> For somebody who wants to become a therapist, is there a type of person who's usually pulled towards it? And yeah. anybody listening to this now and they're resonating, what... Maybe they're not sure what to yeah. do. What so can they do to take this step? So we look for one thing, and that's called people skills. Do you like people? We've often found hairdressers and people who work in reception or people who work as cabin crew or a beauty therapist are actually great because they already are good with people. They talk to people. So the biggest thing is people skills. You know, we can teach you. We can teach you background of therapy. Mm. RTT is actually a particular, someone said to me once, you're the Jamie Oliver of therapy. And I said, you know, I take that because Jamie says, do that, 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 and that, and that order. And you'll turn out something almost as good as mine. And we tell our therapist, mm -hmm. you know, you become an investigator first. You put on your detective hat and you investigate what happened to you. Nobody is born um, unable to leave cake. Nobody's born blushing if someone looks at them. No baby in the hospital goes, don't look at me. I've got no hair and triple <laughs> knees here. They, they, they <laughs> smile at you even if their diaper's leaking and their nose is running. <laughs> they don't know how to be uncomfortable with attention because they need it. Mm. And so the first thing you do is investigate how did you get to be the way you are. When you have that information, you become more like a dentist. You extract all that toxic stuff. You interrupt the client. You interpret how the client got to be there. Then you interrupt their belief system. And then you finally become like a coder. You install something new. So it's that pattern of let me investigate what happened. Mm. Let me interpret with you, not for you, how that affected you. Let me interrupt that belief. And now let me code in something else. So many people whose parents go, 
on your plate, eat it. You're not leaving the table. Say, I, I can't leave food. And you go, but you weren't bought. Let's go back and have a look at that shame being made to sit at the table, made to sit at the school dining hall until it made you believe, oh, I got to eat everything. And you were trained to do that, taught to do that, coded to do that. Or for instance, I worked with a little boy covered in eczema and his mum had had a new baby and she was doing baby mash. She said, mummy, can I have that? She said, no, it's just for the baby. And he thought, I thought, I want mummy to put cream on me. Oh, wow. And, the, and lo and behold, he got eczema. She spent ages putting on cream and wet bandages because Oosh. we think we're thinking a thought. We're not. We're making a direct command to them. When a kid says, I, I don't want to fail my exams, someone goes, don't worry, I'll give you chronic diarrhea. You can't go to school. I don't want to get dumped by this person. Now I've got a panic attack and I can't. I don't want to mess up. The interview becomes, I got the flu mm-hmm. and I can't leave the house because, again, you're thinking a thought. That's I don't want to be rejected. Yeah. And so when people come to me with issues, I say, you know, you're so powerful. You know, I worked with this girl. It was an amazing thing. Her stepfather was touching her, showed the mother who ignored her, and she suddenly got contact dermatitis only on her inner thighs. And when he touched her, the skin would flake off. He said, that's so disgusting. He never touched her again. I said, that's amazing, your power Mm. to create contact dermatitis only on your inner thigh. So that molester was revolted by it. Isn't that amazing, the power? Because a child will think a thought, I've got to stop this. Mm. I've got to stop mummy hitting daddy and suddenly they'll get ill. Mm. Or I remember one of my little kids I worked with who had terrible migraines. It was very unusual for a kid. And he said, when mommy and daddy fight, I get headaches and we have to lie in a dark... Mommy calls me a little snake and we lie in a dark room and she puts a wet flannel on my head and they stop fighting. So this kid thought, I've got to stop them fighting. And he came up with these <sighs> intense migraines and, of course, migraines affected by sound. So they stopped fighting and became very loving to him. Mm. And so children don't even know what they're doing. I would say, this is the genie. Your wish is it to be very careful what you wish was. I remember children who say that, I, I don't want to fail my exam. I, I don't want to, people not to like me. You've got to think, ask a better wish. Mm. I want to go to school and be amazing. I've got a great memory. I make friends easy because I'm a great kid. So we teach them very, I'm, I was thinking that I was holding up the genie's lamp. They were coming up, rubbing the lamp, saying, genie, genie, I don't want my friend to not like me. That's the wrong wish because the genie's going to make you sick now because you'll mm. get compassion. You've got to say, genie, genie, how can I be such an amazing kid that everybody loves me? So we teach them the very ask a better question. The genie must make your wishes. When you wish, your job is to think a better wish. And so most of our therapists, and we have over 15,000, get that. But you said something. And I tell all my therapists, listen, if all you do in your whole job as a therapist is take away the blame and the shame and the guilt, if that's all you ever do, that's enough. Because people come in and go, I was molested. Mm. It was like, of course it wasn't your fault. You were seven. Mm. I let my parents down. You know, I, one of my clients told me that her, in Ireland, her, she was the fifth girl and her father came up and said to her, you're a disgrace. You haven't given your husband a son. He'll never be a man. And that little girl heard that and thought, oh, my God, it's my fault. I should have been a boy. And she became very masculine. She became a fire officer, had never wore makeup, wouldn't let her husband put up a shelf. And she said, you know, this is really affecting my marriage. She then became infertile. All because of that belief, I should have been a boy. My father's not a man. And that wasn't even, that was her father's best friend who told the mother in the street, this is disgraceful. By the way, it's men who create the sex of the child. It's not a female, so it wasn't her fault, but she didn't know that. So going back and having to say, okay, look at what happened. Look at how it affected you. And then make a decision. You 
gift to your father. He loved you. Your father's friend was an idiot. Mm. And you were meant to be, you meant to be a girl. And she said that was the day she grew her hair, started wearing makeup and everything changed. And she got pregnant within six months because that unconscious need to be male, that can mess up your fertility big time. How powerful we really are. So and that's powerful. the beautiful thing about what it is you're doing. And yeah. I feel like, we're, you know, putting this message yeah. out there and what it is, is that the power is not external. No. Outside, it's all here. It's and all children are so powerful. You know, they, you know, there are only four ways that we act. And it was one of the things I teach people on our course that there's only, I call it foreplay. If you don't feel loved and accepted, you've only got four choices. The first is to be sick. And for a kid, that's the very next thing. I don't think you loved me, but I can see you're getting all this gluten-free stuff, and so you must care about me. So many children learn if I'm not loved and I'm sick, I get care and attention. They become mm-hmm. adults who still have all these illnesses. You know, 70% of our issues medically are not caused by disease organs, they're caused by disease thinking. Psychosomatic. 70% of people turning up and with real irritable bowel, real migraines, real psoriasis mm. and eczema. 70% of that is a diseased thought, not a diseased organ. So we teach the first way is to get sick. The second way is to become the brilliant one. Mm. I think you love me, but when I get straight A's or I win every race, you're proud of me. Suddenly I do feel I belong. I belong because I'm sick. I belong because I'm the brilliant one. The third way is to be a therapist like me, the carer. Most nurses and people who go into the caring profession give what they haven't got. They think mm. the world isn't fair, I want love. I, I'll give it to everybody, mm. but they don't have the balance. Mm. And the fourth way is the rebel, the one who says, well, I just got to take the power off you. And so you can only do one of those four things if you don't feel connected. So when you train with us, we teach you the whole basis of human behavior. We teach you exactly how to fix people how to do it very quickly. And some of our greatest therapists had no background in therapy at all. Mm. They came from PR and the city and everywhere. If you're just a people person, then it's something that you can certainly if jump into. If you like people, it mm. does help a great deal. If you like talking well, to people. If you don't people, like people, you're trying to... <laughs> yeah, I worked with a psychiatrist in one of my courses. She said, I hate everybody. I hate weak people. Why are you a psychiatrist? Because I yeah. hate weak people. But interesting, her story, because... She was probably the most challenging people to teach because she said, I don't like weakness. I don't like my clients. And when I actually talked with her alone, she told me that when she was a little baby, her brother would stand over the crib and pinch her and scratch her. Mm. Like her. And I was going, no, he loves you. He loves you. They wouldn't intervene. He doesn't mean it. He's tucking you tight because he loves you. But he didn't love her. He'd always say, I wish you weren't here. So that was her view of the world. My brother hates me, tells me, shows me, hurts me. And so that may, that was her belief. People don't like me. And if people don't like you, mm. you either try hard to make them like, or you don't like them back. Mm-hmm. You reject them because they're going to, exactly. it's oldest trick in the book. You might reject me. I just reject you in advance. I'm mm-hmm. trying yes. to avoid pain because everything we're doing is trying to avoid pain. Mm, moving away from pain towards pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, big Tony Robbins thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And of course, that means that you're going into two lanes. So here's the lane. I love cake. Mm-hmm. I love food, but I really want to be slim. You can't, I want love, but you always get dumped. You've got to get into one lane. You can't, your mind can't be in those two lanes. Go into one lane and stay there. Think of your lane. Pick your lane. Picking your lane is going, okay, I love to be healthy, so I'm going to choose berries and I'm going to have cake maybe once a week and just a little bit. Then you're in the right lane. Mm-hmm. But 
it torments the mind when you love and hate the same thing. And I learned that from bulimia. So what do you love? They go, I love food. I read cookery books all day. Mm. I eat, And then I have to make myself sick. I have to drink a bottle of perfume because I can't have food. And they will drink perfume, wow. all kinds of stuff, just to make themselves vomit. Anorexia says, what do you love? Food. I, I, I read cookery books. I walk up and down the aisles. What do you hate? Well, I hate food. I limit myself to one apple and one tomato and one hard-boiled egg a day. So many people have this thing. It's like, I, I want a baby. And I, I work a lot with unexplained infertility. I want a baby. Okay, I'm going in that. But what if I'm a terrible mother? What if my husband, what if there's something, what if, I'm, what if the baby doesn't, what if the baby dies and mm-hmm. I, that would kill me? What if I have a miscarriage? So now they're in two lanes. I want it, mm-hmm. but it's going to cause me tremendous pain. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah, I love my baby. And the hammer, I'd have to kill myself because now I've made myself vulnerable with a love and you have to show them that you've got to get in one lane. Your body can make a perfect baby. If you mm. command the body, there's a great site called Viz Embryo. And if you go onto it and look at every day what the baby is doing, oh, this week my baby's making a heart chamber, this week it's doing that. And I'm going to have a great baby, I mean, great mother. There's no guarantees, of course, but you can't live your life avoiding pain. You have to turn that into pleasure and stay in the lane of moving towards it. It's like the fear of failure. You know, human beings, their greatest fear is the fear of rejection. All our things about failing, procrastinating, sabotage are nothing more than the fear of rejection. If I never create my business plan, I can't fail. If I never take that exam, I can't fail. But the truth is, the only person who can reject you is you. No one else can reject you. They can say mean things, but they don't even know you. Mm -hmm. So once you get over the fear of rejection... You can do anything. That's all based on control. They're trying to control all events to never f- yeah. to face rejection. Yeah. Like I've got a friend who's written, he's writing his book and he's been writing his book for a very long oh, time. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I really can see it that, you know, to complete it then means yeah. to put it out there. And then, yeah. then what, right? And then yeah. you're facing potential rejection yeah. and everything else. And it's else. true that 500 years ago, rejection would have, if you watch Game of Thrones, there mm. you see the truth. If you were rejected from the walled city, you would die. So years ago in Romeo and Juliet, when he was banished, he said, I'd rather die. There's nothing outside the city walls but purgatory. Mm. So rejection could kill you. I mean, years ago, you lived in a fort, you lived in a tribe. Mm-hmm. You couldn't live on your own. Hardwired. Yeah. So we're hardwired to fear rejection. But here's the truth. You can. Now you could live in an apartment, get everything delivered by Instacart, never see yourself and live till you're 110. It's true. So you have to go, okay, rejection would have killed me, but now it can only make me stronger. And the only person who can really reject me is me. And if you can remind yourself on a daily basis, yeah, I can go on this date, it may not work. Maybe I will get fired from this job because it's not my job. Mm. But for most people, often they'll say, you know, of course I was rejected, I was dumped, I was fired. It's actually the best thing that ever happened to Mm. me. The worst day of your life turns out to be the best day of your life. Yeah, you know, when I was 17 and the love of my life dumped me, it was excruciating. But now I think, oh God, he did me such a favour. Otherwise, I'd still be living in Cambridge, married to him. And he was a lovely guy, but that wasn't my life. I didn't know that then. I thought Mm. it was the worst thing in the world. Mm. Or, you know, getting kicked out of college or fired from a job. You look back and think, oh, no, that was good. Yeah, very good. So we don't realize that rejection actually can be your friend. It just nudges us in the right direction, not to look at it and judge it, you know, for what it is. I remember a story of... um, um, What's his name? Played uh, Batman, mm. uh, Christian Bale. Yeah. But he 
first went for an audition to play the Joker mm. along with George Clooney, I think. Yeah. And he didn't get the job and I'm sure he was gutted. Mm. But if he got it, he wouldn't have then yeah, been Batman later on. So, you know, it's people out there going, it's okay, you know, being rejected or not getting what it is you got is leading you towards something exactly, even yeah. better and yeah. just accepting that. And you want to ask you the question that you asked on the other? Uh, I just wanted to, yeah, I, yes. I wanted to just... Um, <laughs> Uh, to add to it, as Edison was saying, that he was trying to make all of these light bulbs, mm. right? And he was yeah. failing every single time. And the people asked him, well, you know, aren't you tired of failing every single time? And he says, well, I don't see this as failure. I just learned so many ways of how not to make a light yeah. bulb. So it's the same thing. So one of, yeah, one of my friends had five miscarriages and then went to El Salvador and adopted a baby and said, you know, that was, she was meant to be my daughter and I was meant to be her mother and now I see all the miscarriages as leading me to her. Mm. Well, that's so and they beautiful. have such a beautiful relationship. And the little mm. girl would say, Mommy, I'm so glad we found each other. It wasn't even that I'm so glad. She's like, glad oh. we found each other. And she said, she was meant to be my child. I was meant to be her mother. And now I see each <laughs> miscarriage taking me to her. See. So sometimes you have to think, yeah, I'm so glad my first husband was an idiot. I'm so glad, John Grace, so I'm so glad my first wife was awful because then I married Bonnie, the yeah. love of my life. So everything is a reframe and you have to reframe. I'm yeah. glad my teacher said I'd be nothing because mm. I I'm glad that didn't work out. I'm glad that that happened mm. because beautiful. when you can reframe your childhood and say, well, that made me something. Mm. You know, the guy who created Bernardo's felt unloved. And so his job was to create an orphanage for children. And many people, Opera Winfrey now has girls schools in Nigeria because her own pain, mm -hmm. she used that for good. So if you never had pain and had a charmed life, maybe, I mean, I see that with occasionally parents who've had a charmed life that don't understand their kid is being bullied or say, well, I went to boarding school. It was marvelous. I don't know some of my kid is having it all because they're not you. Mm. You've got an artistic son who isn't doing well in boarding school just because you loved it. You know, we saw that in The um, Crown where Philip went to that school in Gordonson in Scotland, loved it, but it wasn't for Charles. He was much more poetic mm. and it was horrible for him. Mm. And so just because it was okay for you, mm. it goes back to that it's not okay for someone else. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes real wisdom to understand that yeah. because we think we're protecting our children because mm. of all the mistakes that we have learned and we think we figured out the way the world yeah. works and we, if we don't pass on that wisdom, as people think, we're not teaching mm. them the right way. There's a lot of people that think that way, a lot of yeah. parents that think that way. But, you know, and also that thing about it, how it takes a whole tribe, you know, it, you just, you can't really do well with just two people or one. You need aunties, uncles, friends, neighbours to help shape and mould you, you know. That's the problem now that we have one person moulding a child. Well, they need a whole community. Mm. Like, you it's know, true. our grandmothers. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And that's the, that's the danger of the modern world where we live in our little boxes. We don't see other people. Mm. And we're totally responsible for all the decisions we make for this kid. And the grandmother says, you know, that's not right for them. Or I don't think that's right. And often you can have great grandparents who say, oh, no, you know, this child is different. And But the more we're disconnected from our extended families and communities, the harder that is because it takes a whole community to raise a child. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. This is what actually we are striving for, is for establishing this community here, to grow this community here, yeah. the new earth. Yeah. That's, that's community that's bringing together all the wisdoms and, you know, 
kind of putting it in the pot and passing that on and growing more and mm. more communities like that because we have been separated by the virtue of the ego, let's put it yeah, this way. Of and now the heart is what brings us together. And I think also with, the, with regards to parenting, when the child feels loved, you know, some, some, some parents don't, or grandparents, they had no idea about anything about psychology, mm. about anything about, you know, how to, to, to not harm the child mm. with what they say, but they loved them yeah. so much. And their love was mm. enough mm. For, for the child to feel so worthy, so loved, so important. Yeah, because they need that soft play. They need to know that whatever you do, you're always yeah. a soft place. You, oh, yeah. Everyone needs someone to have their back, to say, you know, whatever happens, I'm here. And many people don't have anyone to have their back, lot, and that's um, so sad. And that that brings me to the question: You know how uh, nowadays the, the this term narcissism mm. has become so popular, and people talk about it a lot. And they say that narcissism narcissism originates from the childhood trauma, mm. from the fact that you know the the caregivers and caretakers did mm. not give enough love yeah. and validation to their child, mm. and from that trauma they basically created that alter ego mm. that is the perfect child, the perfect person that is not mm. what who they are just to feel yeah accepted somehow mm. with narcissists is there a person because they say that narcissism can be can't be healed mm. although it has been conditioned mm. it can't be healed do you believe it can be through do you know, I found with narcissists when they lose their looks is that, that that's the time when they're young and beautiful or powerful or attractive or the matriarch of a family they have a lot of power as their power leaves and they become a grandmother who is no longer like you know you're the queen and you're giving birth to the princess but the princess just giving birth to the king it's like oh uh, yeah. now the king's there and the mother so when your roles start to change and the narcissists lose their power they're no longer the head of a company when they're older and they lose their looks that's the only time really you can get in and make a difference as long as they're in a position of power they don't want to change but when their power starts to diminish then that's the only time you can really and, help and them. You do, and you do wow. believe that they will hear you, that there is a chance Not that all, they will? but no. some. It depends. I mean, narcissists are always very lonely as they get older, yeah. so they're not happy. Mm. So that's a chink, but that's your only chance of getting in there. I mean, uh-huh. I tell most of my grads don't work with them unless they're older and want to change. Exactly. There's enough people who need help. We don't need to take people on who are going to reject it. Yeah, they don't really ask for help. They well, don't no, want narcissists to will never turn up mm-hmm. because their belief is you're wrong and I'm right. Yes. So they want to make you wrong. And they, in, in order to be right, someone always has to be wrong. Mm. That's never the... That's why so many kids who want to kill themselves will say, somebody made me wrong, the teacher, my dad, my mum. You know, if your mission is to be right, remember you're making someone else wrong and that's often a very troubled child. So don't be right mm. all the time. No love It's not sex. important to be right, it's important to be kind. Mm. Much more important to be kind than right. Beautiful. Uh, if you, they say, you know, you want to be right or do you want to have love in your yeah. life? If you want to be right or do you want to have money? Yeah. You know, yeah. right comes at a cost. Well, a uh, last little question I've Actually, I have all these questions. We didn't ask any of them, which is okay. usually the case. I mean, I've got to say, this has been incredible, uh, mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyable. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, so, look, there's so much conflicting information available on the internet and in the media. How can we distinguish between what is real and what is not? I think you have to use your gut. You know, in tribes, your gut instinct is everything. People say, no, I felt in my gut that was wrong and I felt something. If it doesn't feel right, you know, we, we've forgotten something. Your feelings are the most real thing you will ever have. And you've got to feel your feelings until they no longer require. But if your feeling is that person doesn't seem genuine, this seems too good to be true, 
I feel it's wrong. Like, you know, with Bernie Madoff, nobody mm. ever checked him out. And if they had, they would have realised. the Wizard of Lies. Yeah. yeah. But your feelings. So it, go back to your gut, gut instinct. If you think, mm, I don't believe that, or I feel that's wrong, or I feel this is not correct, then it's the feeling mm. that will always, because that's what your feelings are to tell you. You know, my little girl came in and said, Mummy, I went out with my friend and her brother shoplifted all these baseball caps and he gave me one. And I felt so bad. Is that's your feelings telling you it's wrong? And go, and when next time just say, I feel like I don't want that. You, it's fine, but I don't want to wear the hat. I don't want to take it. So. If we can listen to our gut, you know, it's the second brain after all. It bypasses logic and says, no, this feels wrong. Mm. You know, I, I people have said, you know, I was on a train, I felt this guy was weird, or I felt that, but I just ignored it because it seemed so rude and lo and behold, they mugged me. Mm. So when you're on the internet, listen to your gut. It's never wrong. Tune into it. And if you say, I'm feeling sad, we go, oh, you shouldn't feel sad. What do you feel sad about? It's like saying, I shouldn't feel diabetic. What have I got to be diabetic about? <laughs> Don't let people shut down your feeling. When people mm. say, I feel sad, you go, it's okay to feel sad. I feel um, unfulfilled. It's okay. Sit with a feeling because, you know, you just talked about your ex- favorite expression, but mine is the feeling that cannot find its expression in tears will cause other organs to weep. And that's the thing. If you don't mm-hmm. tune into your feelings, your body will feel them for you or weep or get psoriasis or mm-hmm. people say I've got an angry rash or this something headache because they're feeling anger that they think they shouldn't feel. Mm. Mm. So it's not judging your feelings. feelings. Yeah, because yeah. most of us have been told to, well, one, we don't even know how to articulate our feelings. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, you know, feel good. Yeah. I'm okay. That's about as far yeah. as it goes. And, you know, it's okay to allow that feeling mm. to come up. But I, I, it's also just the idea of, you know, learning the vocabulary of what mm. feelings actually are. You yeah. know, how many different feelings do we actually go through? Most people yeah. go through anger, yeah. sadness. Mm. Is it even happiness? And they kind of go yeah. through three, three or four emotions every Yeah, and, they, and we say you shouldn't week. feel that. Why don't, don't feel that. You shouldn't be jealous of your sister. You shouldn't talk about that, that person like that. Mm. But, you know, it, you have to say, but this is my feeling. It's the most real thing I have. So you, it's what I call triple A. Be aware of your feelings. Go, okay, I feel insanely jealous. I'm going to accept it. That's how I feel today. I can accept it. So be aware, accept, and then you have to articulate. I, the other day I was looking on... Um, Amazon, I thought someone whose book's doing much better than mine. I thought, oh, yeah, look, his book's better than mine. Do I feel a bit jealous? I do feel a bit jealous, but you know what? He's mm. worked really hard. He deserves it. I just had to accept that his book is better than mine, but my book's still selling really well. Mm. I got great um, people saying that book changed my life. Someone said to me, I read that book. I cried all the way through, and I've never had a drink since I read that book. Mm. Tell yourself a better lie. I thought, Which well, book is good. it? Tell yourself a better lie. Tell yourself a better lie. Because there's a story lie. of an alcoholic going, which I got to this, and I just cried. He said, but I've never drunk since I read that book. I thought, well, that's good, isn't it? Wow. This other person's got much higher sense for me but I went back to the person and other people have told me that that book changed their life so I was aware that I felt a bit bit envious Mm. I didn't go this is silly I thought no just accept it Mm. and articulate I feel envious but his book's better my my book's still doing really well still changing people so with your children when they go I hate grandma I don't say you're not allowed to do that you go okay well tell me why 
Well, she ate my biscuit or she ate my Easter egg or she gave my sister nicer food than me. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? That must feel, yeah, it's horrible. I don't like it. But actually, you know what you hate? You hate what grandma did and you're allowed to hate that. So again, if your children can be aware, mm-hmm. except when you don't say, don't say that. You're not allowed to say that about my mother. How dare you say that? Mm-hmm. You can understand we don't really hate people we hate the actions mm, i read this true. from uh, raising emotionally intelligent children yeah. by i think it's not is that Stephen Biddle? i think so i right? love him it's an old book but um it's absolutely spot on and mm. that's the beautiful thing it's you're speaking the same language but you're doing it obviously mm. in your own yeah. beautiful unique yeah. way but it just shows you look this is not rocket science, mm. but though I've read the book, I will forget my at times when something happens and you're triggered mm. and you're running around and I can go back to the book again and go, oh yeah, that's why triple A is easy to remember. Yeah. Aware, accept, articulate. You might forget <laughs> what you've read, but if you put it in little simple terms, AAA, yeah. then I you certainly remember. need that. Aware. You have to be aware first of what you feel. Then, because the first thing is aware. People say, "I don't want to. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to drink." They don't even get to that awareness. They eat or drink. They. So when you have feelings, we try to shop, shopify our Netflix, our feelings, cake our feelings, drink our feelings, medicate our feelings. Because we're taught that when you feel something, go and have a lovely cake have a glass of wine. So we're taught not to feel our feelings. So you've got to f- be aware of the feeling and not drink it, eat it, shop it, or medicate it. Then you have to accept, even if you think, well, who am I to feel like that? Then you've got to totally accept that that's how you feel today. Mm-hmm. Like you could go, I hate you, you know, and you think, well, that's a bit sad, but you know, that's what they do. They don't mm-hmm. mean it. Mm-hmm. So aware, so then you've got to say it, I feel this tremendous rage towards my husband, my wife, my kid. Right now I could quite cheerfully get on a bus and leave them all behind, but I'm not going to do it. And if you do that, the feeling goes away like that. It's when you won't be aware of it. It keeps regrouping and stronger because they're real feelings. They're like children going, hey, notice me. Mm-hmm. And when you tune in and they go away, it's when you try to avoid them that they keep regrouping. Mm. Mm. Makes sense. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you know what? There's such a beautiful way to finish this. Uh, thank you so much. How can people find you how can they find the rtt mm. course what do they do i'm going to put some links underneath okay, so this podcast rtt.com is where you can go to to train with me live or online and do what i do just as well as me maybe even better so that's rtt.com you can also find people i've trained to help you with all of your issues at rtt.com to do the training or find someone who has and then marissapeer.com we have a lot of free audios they have audios on love blocks health blocks wealth blocks they're all free we don't ask for a credit card take them all then we have the i'menough.com where you can get a lot of material mm-hmm. to make you know that you are enough and you always have been and you definitely always will be that's mm. so important and then well. of course there's YouTube and Instagram I'm so glad I have that name Marissa Peer because <laughs> there's only <laughs> one so you can always find me mm-hmm. yeah beautiful all right, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you Thank so much you. for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure too. Thank you so Thank much. You so Thank much. you so much. Thank you.